Welcome back to episode 5 of the As of Yet Unnamed Podcast. I'm Parth, and here with me is Connor. And today, we have sort of a different topic for you. We're talking about some unsolved mysteries today. Nothing to do with music today at all. <laughs> Sharp detour. Yeah. But uh, Connor and I each picked out two mysteries that we think are interesting, and we're just going to talk about those and what happened, maybe some theories. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to start with my mystery, my first mystery. So the first one I have is of, well, both of my mysteries are disappearances. So this first one is of a girl named Aisha Degree, who was a nine-year-old girl who disappeared from Shelby, North Carolina in the year 2000. And what's kind of interesting is Shelby, North Carolina isn't that far from here. Mm -hmm. It's about an hour from where we live. Yeah. I remember being kind of shocked when I first heard about this case, just how close it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me just, I'm going to go through kind of what happened exactly the night she disappeared. So like the timeline of events and then explain some of the theories that people have. So Aisha, like I said, she was a nine-year-old girl who lived with her family in Shelby, North Carolina. And basically in the early morning hours of February 14th, 2000, she packed up her book bag and left her home and was never seen again. So this was really strange because she left like in the middle of the night during a heavy rainstorm with heavy rain and wind, there really isn't like a good reason that people see that she would have done this. So kind of going through again the timeline event of events that night, she had a 10-year-old brother and they were both sleeping in their bedroom that night. And her dad said that he checked on her to see, you know, checked on her in her bedroom at 2.30 a.m. And he saw her asleep in her bed. Shortly after this, her brother reported that she heard Aisha's bed squeaking like she had gotten up and he might have seen her, he said he might have seen her standing in the room, but he assumed that she had just gone to maybe use the restroom or something, so he didn't really pay attention to it and went back to sleep. But this is apparently about the time she left the house is what people think. Around 4 a.m., I think it, I read between 3.45 and 4.15, she basically ran away and people saw her walking along the side of a highway, a nearby highway, uh, North Carolina Highway 18. So around 4 a.m., several passing truckers on the highway reported seeing her uh, walking along the side of the road. And one of them even approached her to check if she was okay. This was just like a mile from her home. But when they tried to uh, approach her, she ran away into a wooded area next to the road. And that was like the last time anyone saw her. Back at her house, uh, Aisha's mom woke up around 5.45 to get the children ready for school. And she went to wake the children up at about 6.30 to call them to you know take a bath, take a bath and stuff. She saw her brother sleeping in his bed, but Aisha was gone. Her mom kind of, kind of panicked. She understandably, <laughs> yeah. She kind of looked around the house a little bit, and then I read that. I think um, 
like Aisha's grandmother lived across the street and she called to check if she was there and she wasn't there either. And then she like called the police, you know, and uh, a pretty intensive search began that day by the police. And they've actually found some of her, some of her belongings in a tool shed a few days later uh, near the highway where she vanished. Uh, they found some stuff like candy wrappers and a pencil, a marker pen and a hair bow that belonged to her. And then a year and a half after this happened, on August, 8, August 3rd, 2001, her book bag was discovered in a construction site along, uh, along the same highway, just north of Shelby in Morganton, and it was double wrapped in black bags. That's, so that's not good yeah and yeah over 20 years have passed since this happened and there there's been no further clues to her disappearance that's literally literally all they've found At so this point, i don't know what there would be left to find right right so yeah it's just like a really weird case there are some theories but none of these really make sense like one theory is that she was murdered by a family member i saw but like her family life was really stable she had a pretty happy you know life in general uh like she did well in school you know her family was a good family um plus like she was seen by people by herself right right which makes it seem like she she at least left of her own accord maybe someone else enticed her to leave but she left by herself right exactly uh, another theory is that she ran away from home. Either she ran away herself or, like you said, someone else talked her into running away. Maybe, like, meeting up with them. But this doesn't really make sense either because she's, like, younger than the age most kids, like, run away. You know, she was nine. And, I mean, she I read she lived a pretty sheltered life. Like, I don't know how she would have gotten into contact with someone that would have you know this was way before the internet was such a widely used thing so i don't know i don't know how a nine-year-old in 2000 would have like gotten on the internet to contact a stranger who would try to make them run away or something weird like that yeah and again like why would she run away from home herself Like, like i said she had a solid life she wasn't like upset about anything in the days leading up to her disappearance there's no like outward signs of any anything that would cause her to want to run away right i read that there was like a basketball game she attended i think that she played in a couple days before she disappeared which uh she lost and she was like upset about it for a while but she like got her over it very quickly and, you know, there wasn't anything major that she was super upset about. Maybe that's where she met this stranger in her basketball game. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and then another theory was that she was abducted from home. But like, this doesn't make sense because people saw her walking alone yeah. on the side of the highway. And how would someone abduct her without her, like, waking up? Or, like, someone noticing. Plus, it's... like, they found her stuff in that shed. Like, like candy wrappers and stuff. Like, it's... To me, that sounds like she was staying there by herself. Right. Like, she was trying to entertain herself and eat some candy or something. 
That doesn't explain why she was there in the first place. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like there would be anybody else there with her. Like, if they were taking this little girl and abducting her, they wouldn't leave behind traces. Yeah. Like, let her leave behind a candy bar wrapper and pins and pencils and a hair bow and all this other stuff. Yeah, they wouldn't. That would be, like, careless, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I, I saw, I read that, like, the place where she vanished into the woods, there's a billboard there now, like, like advertising, you know, her disappearance in case anyone, like, knows of anything about it. And, like, every year, I think on the day she disappeared, her parents, like, have a walk to that billboard to, like, like, I guess, mark that day, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's basically this mystery. This one's really weird to me. I just, I don't, I have a good theory for this one. Like, none of those those theories make sense. Yeah. Uh, to me, it seems like she just ran away. And maybe she didn't have a good reason for it. Maybe she just wanted to do it. Yeah. Like, it was just kind of a spur-of-the-moment idea. Maybe she was more upset about the basketball game than she let on or something, and she just wanted to get away from everything. Right. So she decided to run away and got lost, and whatever happened, happened to her. But <laughs> Yeah. That's the most plausible thing to me, but it still doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. I think I would agree. She probably ran away on her own. For some reason, maybe she didn't have a good reason, but I think she might have gotten gotten into some kind of like accident and died. Yeah, I mean, if she wandered into the woods, there's no telling what she would have run into. Yeah. So, um, it's really bizarre, but it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, it's one of those that it seems like it'll never be solved. Yeah, unless something else gets discovered somewhere. Yeah, unless they like find her remains or something yeah i don't think there's gonna be any more developments <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this is a really pretty sad case um but that's uh yeah that's the first case i have uh i think connor is gonna do a case now all right so i'm going to start talking about my first case and the one i picked out to do first is the eileen moore lighthouse mystery yeah. And some background on this, um, Eileen Moore is the largest of the Flannan Isles on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, it's a 39-anchor island, and at its highest point, it rises 288 feet above the Atlantic Ocean, and the name literally means Big Island in Gaelic. Mm -hmm. And in 1895, uh, a 75-foot-high lighthouse uh, was started construction. It was meant to signal to sailors up 25 miles out in sea, and it started operations in 1899. And even as late as 1971, it was constantly manned by a three-man crew to help keep the light operational and make, it, make sure everything was running right. And our mystery starts in December of 1900. Uh, on December 15th, a ship that was sailing by, the SS Archer, uh, noted that the lighthouse was not operational. There was no light coming out or anything. Um, Captain Holman of this ship uh, reported this to his company headquarters, but his headquarters did not notify the authorities, so there was never any official report of it being out, although local residents had also reported that there was no signs at the lighthouse of anything going on. At this time, the three men stationed on the island were James Ducott, Donald McArthur, and Thomas Marshall. Uh, they were all very 
seasoned Mariners. They were experienced at what they were doing. Uh, Ducat had over 20 years of lighthouse experience, and he was the head keeper, uh, followed by MacArthur, his second in command, and Marshall being described as an occasional, in quotation marks, meaning he was there not very long, and he maybe didn't have as much responsibility as the other two. Since there was no report of the lighthouse condition being made to the authorities, the relief ship that was bringing supplies to the island, the Hesperus, it took a 12 days to cross to this island to investigate. And this was due to bad weather in the area, lots of storms. They couldn't make the crossing to go uh, take the supplies to the island. So after 12 days, they finally showed up, not knowing the situation. And they shot off a flare uh, that was no response to that. Uh, and they noticed that the relief flag was not flying, showing that the men hadn't been there to put it up. Uh, this was very strange, so they sent the relief keeper, Joseph Moore, who was going to relieve one of the keepers. Uh, they sent him aboard in a small boat, and he did a quick rundown of the condition of the place. He noted that the gate and the outside door were closed and locked, while the kitchen door inside was open. Uh, everything seemed calm. There were lamps ready to be lit, and even a half-eaten plate of salted mutton and potatoes on the table with an upturned chair, like someone had suddenly risen from the table to go do something. There was no fire inside. It had been left dead for what seemed like quite a while. The clocks had stopped since no one had been winding them. And there was absolutely no sign of the three men that were stationed there. Moore later returned with four members of the relief ship to do a full investigation. They noted that of the three sets of jackets and boots that were there for the three men, two of them were missing, along with a toolbox. Although MacArthur, the occasional's uh, belongings were still there. He, his, his jacket and boots were still hung up. And also, the East Landing, where they landed and started their investigation, seemed fine. There was no apparent damage or anything. However, the West Landing of the island seemed to have been hammered by bad weather. Uh, there was a bent railing and a life buoy that had been ripped out of its mount. There was a crane present here on the West Landing that was in fine shape. However, there was a large box of supplies that was set up on the cliff that had been knocked loose and was completely missing, and just some ropes that were stored inside it were found scattered around the area. And also, a stone that weighed over a ton had fallen off the top of the cliff and landed on the landing, causing a lot of this damage. And one of the interesting things to note is the island of Lewis, which is less than 20 miles away, did not report any of these storms that seem to have hit this island, which is kind of strange. Yeah. And one of the uh, kind of most intriguing elements that you'll find looking up this case is the final log entries present on the island. And I'll read these off. On December 12th, gale north by northwest, sea lashed to fury, never seen such a storm, waves very high, tearing at lighthouse, everything shipshape, James Ducott irritable, later... Storm still raging, wind steady, storm bound, cannot go out. Ship passing, sounding foghorn. Could see lights of cabin. Ducat quiet, MacArthur crying. Then the next day, December 13th, storm continued through the night. Wind shifted west by north. Ducat quiet, MacArthur praying. Later that day, noon, gray daylight, me, Ducat, and Arthur prayed. There was no entry on December 14th. And then on December 15th, 
the the final entry is storm ended sea calm god is over all and that's it yeah, that's pretty weird yeah very ominous final message that's kind of the the telling that you'll hear in most places when you look this up uh one thing that's interesting is that um one of the boards in Scotland that oversees maritime type issues published the report that Joseph Moore, the initial man that made landing and noticed all everything that was missing, um, they published his official report on their website. And uh, it shows that a lot of the more fanciful details have kind of been added over time. He never mentioned there being a half-eaten meal on the table or an upturned chair in the kitchen. None of that. None of that was present in his report. And he also doesn't mention anything abnormal about the log entries. So... Oh. Those have probably been added at some point over the years to make it sound a lot more ominous and menacing. There was also a man named Robert Muirhead, who was the superintendent of the shipping company that this passing ship worked for. Um, he gave a report, and he mentions that all the work and caring for the lighthouse and the cooking and the cleaning, everything of that nature was done for the 15th, meaning the men probably disappeared during the afternoon on the 15th. Because the ship reported the light was op wasn't operational on the night of the fifteenth. Okay, yeah. And then, so that that kind of gives a better time frame for when whatever happened to these men happened. But that was the only major thing of note in his report. So I guess we'll get into some theories about yeah. what people think happened to these guys. The number one theory for me, obviously, is UFO abduction. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Naturally, they were abducted off. That's the what I was thinking. Yeah, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Also, people have mentioned ghosts. Perhaps they were haunted. Mm. And, you know, there was a ship in the area that reported seeing a ghostly dinghy yeah. on the horizon around the time of their disappearance. So, you know, that could have been them. You never know. Anyway, uh, on to the more serious theories. <laughs> <laughs> one theory that has popped up that I don't give a lot of credence to is that one of them went crazy and killed the other two and then maybe flung himself into the ocean or something. Like cabin fever or something yeah. caught hold of one of them, but um, they were all pretty experienced at their jobs, so that doesn't seem very likely. The head man in particular, James Ducott, had over twenty years of experience just in lighthouse work, hmm. so I don't give that a lot of credence. The other two men were like seasoned sailors; they weren't necessarily seasoned lighthouse keepers, but they had been doing work on the sea for most of their lives. Yeah, so I don't give a lot of credence to that. I think that. Whatever happened, it didn't involve them turning on one another. Another interesting theory that I've seen pop up is that they got ergot poisoning, ergo poisoning. This is a, a mold that grows on rye bread that can cause hallucinations and delirium. So maybe their bread had some kind of poisoning mold on it that they ate and caused them to hallucinate. And they, something happened and it caused them to throw themselves off the island or they walked off the side of a cliff or something. Yeah. Another one that I don't know, I feel like that kind of thing would have been noted, like, oh, the, the food is way spoiled in here, yeah. or something like that. Hmm. But it's an interesting thought. The theories that hold the most weight have to do with you know, natural occurrences like the weather. Perhaps there was a lot of wind one day, and they were out on the landing or something doing work, and like a huge gust of wind came and blew them off into the ocean, and they couldn't get back up. Maybe... Uh, there was an earthquake. There was the huge rock that had been knocked off the cliff and everything. Perhaps there was an earthquake that came and shook the island and caused all this damage and knocked them into the water if they were on one of the landings. Yeah. 
The the one that I think is probably the most likely is that they were washed off one of the landings by a rogue wave. A large wave came and swept them away. It makes sense because in one of the reports from the officials earlier, they mentioned that their jackets were only ever put on when they were going to one of the landings. Hmm. And two of their jackets were missing and their boots, meaning they were probably heading to one of the landings of the on the island. And the, the report that mentions this, he actually comes to that conclusion. He thinks that the three of them went down to the West Landing and perhaps the weather wasn't that bad at that time since one of them left their jacket. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a huge wave came and washed over the island and just washed them off the side. Yeah. It's still strange that all three of them went missing at the same time. Like, uh, I don't think standard protocol was that all three of them would go down at the same time. Like, there was always one left in the lighthouse to care for everything. So it's still strange that something caused them all to leave at the same time. And then they were washed off the island or something. Mm -hmm. That's personally what I put the most credence behind. Yeah, yeah. I would. I feel like they probably drowned somehow, or else they would have like found their bodies on the island, right? Yeah, they've never found any remains. The bodies have never washed ashore anywhere. At least not that's been documented. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Like I think, like you said, maybe like because of bad weather, they uh, got swept off, like or fell off mm -hmm. one of the landings. A big wave, like you said, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know why all three of them got, like, carried off into the sea. Yeah. It's strange <laughs> that, like, one of them left their stuff, like their jacket and their boots, in yeah. the lighthouse. The other two, But the other two took their stuff. If yeah. they were all going to the same place, you'd think all three of them would have grabbed their things. Yeah. So maybe some kind of emergency caused them to, like, hastily exit? Right, right. It, it is pretty strange, though. This is another one I don't think that there's ever going to be any more developments in. Yeah. It's only 121 so years long. old. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my first mystery. Mm. And uh, I'm going to hand it back over to Parth now. All right. All right. My second mystery is uh, another disappearance. This, is, uh, this was a girl named Madeline McCann who was uh, three years old and disappeared in the year 2007. So, Madeline was a three-year-old girl from the UK that was on vacation with her parents in Portugal. She was on vacation with her parents, her two-year-old twin siblings, and a group of her parents' friends and their children. So it was like a group of people. Um, and they were on vacation in a little village called Praia de Luz, Portugal. I looked up how to pronounce that, actually. So, so that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they like, got an apartment there to stay for, like, a week. Her disappearance happened on the evening of May 3rd, 2007. Basically, her parents and their friends uh, went to eat dinner at a nearby um, restaurant that I read was about 160 feet away from the apartment they were staying in. While her parents and their friends were eating, the children were in the apartment in their bedroom sleeping. So this was literally like you could walk out the front door of the apartment and make like a turn and walk. And like, it's like within eyesight. 
of their apartment door is where they were sitting at eating. Right. I read that from where they were eating, you could... Yeah, I think you could see, like, the front door of the apartment. Yeah. Uh, while they were eating, they... About every half hour, they were going back to the, to the apartment to check on the children to make sure, you know, they were still okay. So, they left um, the apartment at about at 8.30 p.m. to go eat. About every half hour, you know, like I said, they were checking on the children until their mom named Kate went to check on them at 10 p.m. And that's when she saw that Madeline was gone. To uh, describe the apartment's layout a little bit, the, the, McC- the McCann's children were sleeping in a bedroom next to the front door, which the McCann's kept locked. The bedroom door was locked. And the bedroom had one waist-high window with curtains and uh, a metal exterior shutter. And the shutter was controlled by a cord inside the window. And the curtains and the shutter were kept closed throughout the vacation, too. There are also sliding glass patio doors in the living room. And these doors could only be locked from the inside, so... The McCanns had left them the doors closed but unlocked so that they could let themselves in through the patio doors when they went back to check on the children. Yeah, like I said, I think their dad their dad went to check on them at 9.05, I believe, and they saw them sleeping and everything was fine. At 9.30, one of their friends was going to check on his children and he offered to check on their children as well. So he checked at 9.30 and they were fine. Um, At 10 o'clock, when Madeline's mom went to check on them, she recalled entering the apartment through the patio doors. Were the patio doors on the same side as the front door to the apartment? Like near the the bedroom? Or were they on the opposite side of the apartment? I think it was on the opposite side. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it might have been the patio doors that they had a view of. From the restroom. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. Instead of yeah. instead of the front door, yeah, it was the patio doors that had a view of the restaurant when you walked outside. Yeah, that sounds right. So the children were on the opposite side of the apartment from where they were coming in and out at. Right. Okay. Her mom recalled entering the apartment through the patio doors at the back. Um, yeah, in my notes I put at the back, so... Oh, excellent. <laughs> I guess they were on the opposite side. <laughs> <laughs> um... And she noticed the children's bedroom door was wide open. And when she tried to close the door, it slammed shut as though there was a breeze. And then when she entered the room, she saw that the bedroom window and its shutter were open and Madeline was gone. And after briefly searching the apartment, she ran back to the restaurant and screamed, Madeline's gone, someone's taken her. And then at around 10.10, Madeline's father sent one of his friends to ask the resort's resort's reception desk to call the police. And at 10.30, the resort activated its missing child search protocol. 60 staff and guests searched the resort until 4.30, assuming, at first they assumed that she had just wandered off. So, yeah, at that point, people really... Sorry, kind of panicking, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there there was a giant investigation into this. 
Um, you know, this was reported to the police immediately. The Portuguese and British police were involved. Uh, it got international news coverage. The parents, you know, they really were trying to bring a lot of attention to the case. So I read that they they met the Pope. Really? Yeah, to talk about this. And they were on Oprah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's even a Netflix documentary about this case now. Really? Yeah, apparently. Huh, okay. Yeah, there's just been a lot of coverage for this case. It actually seems to be pretty, like, well-known. I mean, I was looking at the Wikipedia page, and it's, it's pretty extensive. You know, I don't... I don't really want to go into all the details. There have been tons of suspects over the years. There have been a lot of leads. But basically, no one has been found guilty. And none of the leads have led to anything concrete. And there was a lot of intense scrutiny on the parents too at first. Like in the press. And even with, I think, the Portuguese police kind of thought the parents... Like consider the parents suspects. Mm-hmm. And some people thought they like they had killed their daughter and they were covering it up, but I think that theory has largely like died down now. It seems like the parents are innocent. It does seem strange that she like made a point to say she had been taken. Yeah, which, that, that's a strange detail. Yeah, that like that she more... immediately jumped to that instead of her leaving the apartment on her own accord or something. Right. <laughs> that was one thing people brought up, like. Why does she say immediately that she was taken? Yeah. I mean, you probably just say she's not there. She's gone. Yeah, she's something. gone. She's wandered off. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the mystery. And some theories I found were that... One was that she, she wandered off, like you said, and got into some kind of accident. Which doesn't really make sense to me. Mm-mm. I mean, she would have been found. She couldn't have gone that far yeah. in the time that it took them to start searching. Right. If right. she was on her own. That's true. They, It was like an intensive search. Tons of... The whole resort was like searching for her. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, why would she wander off exactly too? Yeah, if she'd been in, happy in, in her room the entire night. Yeah. Why would she just suddenly decide to get up and leave on her by herself for no reason? Right. Without like going out to her parents first or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there's couple there are a couple theories that she was abducted. One was that, and this is like a terrible, but she was like abducted by like a pedophile ring, which that area of like Portugal I read had. I mean, it might have not have been like the safest area. There were some like questionable people there yeah <laughs> not the best part of portugal yeah in terms of maybe some, uh, a crime and stuff <laughs> right, right and then i also read that she could have been stolen by like a kidnapped by traffickers to give to like a childless couple like i don't know someone that you know wanted a child but maybe couldn't have one that's weird yeah i don't know I, it was a theory i read Straight. Why wouldn't they just adopt? <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> That's weird. I don't know about that one. Yeah, uh, I believe the pedophile ring before I believe that. Right. right. <laughs> Those were some of the theories I saw. 
personally, I think she was probably abducted. That I, makes the most sense to me. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. I don't know by who or for what reason. Right. But I think someone had to have taken her, or at least convinced her to let them inside, and then you know whatever. Yeah. I I don't really know how they got in, because the bedroom door was locked, the window was shut. It, I don't know. Somebody had to have come to the window, and maybe like knocked on it or something. Yeah. The most thing that I guess would make the most sense to me would be an employee of the resort. Like, they would know that the girl was there, because they had been working there and seen them. They could have went and knocked on the window. She would have seen a worker, so she would have trusted them. Yeah. So, they could have convinced her to go out, go open her door, because it locked. Did it lock on the outside or the inside? Her door. I'm not sure about the bedroom door. Yeah, the bedroom door. Yeah. Because if it locked on the inside, then she could just unlocked it, went outside, let them in, and then they would have taken her. Yeah, yeah. But if her door locked from the outside, like it was a kid's room that locked from the outside, keep the kids in. Yeah. That, that would have made no sense. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people were saying if she was, like, taken, but they didn't, like, kill her. She could still be alive and, you know, if one day she saw on the news something about her disappearance, she could be found. She would How old was she? Three? She was three at the time. So, yeah, she probably wouldn't have. Well, I don't know. She might have been old enough to kind of understand what was happening. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There is no good explanation. (laughs) No. I don't, yeah. I think, like, something pretty bad happened. Yeah, I don't think anything good happened. (laughs) Yeah. But I I don't know what exactly bad happened. (laughs) Right, right. I don't think, like, some couple took her in and raised her as their own. No, no, no. That's just ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) She's happily, like, living her life Yeah, she just got relocated somewhere, and she's happily living her life. Yeah. No, that did not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Only she was kidnapped. Her twin siblings in the same room, they were fine. That le- like I said, that leads me to believe that someone convinced her to come outside or something. Yeah. Through the yeah. window. That That's the only thing that would have made sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess so. And like her, her siblings were asleep. They didn't wake up. She gets up, walks out the door. Whoever it is takes her. Yeah. I don't know. And then she's just gone. Mm-hmm. And if it was an employee of the resort, they would have known how to subvert the like child search stuff they would have known what the protocol was yeah yeah that's true Hmm. maybe it was an employee maybe they were involved in the pedophile ring the employee at the resort Ah. that's a dark theory yeah this is is a dark theory (laughs) (laughs) um I did read that like that night people reported seeing a man carrying a child, uh, like outside of the room, and like taking her away, and maybe they thought maybe that was Madeline, but then they looked into it, and it, it turned out it was just a guy with his daughter, and it didn't nothing really... nefarious. Yeah, 
Does the did the resort not have security cameras? Huh. I don't think so. I didn't read anything about any security cameras. That's that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that is kind of weird. It was 2007. Yeah. I mean, I would think that a resort in Portugal would have cameras of some kind. Yeah. It was, I think, it was like a small village of like a thousand people, I think, I read. It wasn't like a crazy nice resort or anything. It didn't seem, I saw pictures of it. It didn't seem like something crazy. Um, it wasn't like some super expensive, super nice place yeah. like water parks and <laughs> right, <laughs> nothing right. like that. No. So, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like security cameras would have really helped. Though. Yeah, camera footage would have explained a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of unsolved mysteries could do with some camera footage. Yeah. <laughs> it might be solved right now if they had cameras. Yeah. You could at least have a better better leads to go on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's the mystery. Again, I don't think... I think something pretty bad happened to her. She, I think she was abducted by someone for something. I just... I don't know what. Yeah. I'm going with the employee. Yeah. That's my, that's my, my favorite out of all of them, I think. The employee. Mm. I don't know what the motive would have been. But, I don't know. I mean, bad people don't usually need a motive that's good right. <laughs> to do bad things. <laughs> something nefarious. Yeah. But yeah, that's my second mystery. I'll hand it back to Connor for his mystery. All right. And we're going to wrap up the episode with a mysterious death. This one's pretty recent. I guess I'll start with just the background. Uh, this is taking place in Minnesota here in the U.S., and it's um, near the Boundary Waters, near the Canadian border. So it's in like the far corner of Minnesota, a very remote area. In April of 2019, an Officer Williams uh, receives a call. He, he's the officer in charge of making sure all the nature preserves and everything runs the way it should. I can't remember his official title. Hmm. But he was overseeing this area. He received a call in April 2019 about an abandoned pickup truck in a remote area. And this truck was left in such a way that it was actually blocking it, like a gate that to like another area. It was parked in front of this gate, so it was blocking it. And he had already been made aware of this truck in the prior October, so October of 2018. He had been first informed about this truck sitting here. It had been sitting there for however many months that is. Like six months. Six months, yeah. And he still hadn't, he had been trying to find the owner. He knew who the owner was. It was a man named Jordan Grider. But he didn't know where he was. And he had been spent the six months trying to find his campsite. Um, and some background on our missing man here, Jordan Greider. He was 29 years old at the time this happened. Uh, he was born in New Mexico, and he was an experienced outdoorsman. For roughly the last 12 years of his life, he had been living off the grid in Kentucky and New York State. Like, out in the woods, disconnected, uh, homeless, essentially, living off the land. He didn't, ha he didn't have, like, an actual home anywhere. He had arrived two years prior to this event in Minnesota. He was planning to go camp in the wilderness up near where this truck was discovered. Uh, his mother said that he moved there to be near water, and the campsite, when it was eventually discovered, was indeed in a sheltered remote area near, like, a river with a beaver dam near a water source, like his mother said. 
he had told news crews previously that had talked to him that he was not homeless, though he did not own a home. He said his the outdoors was his home, basically. And even though he did kind of live a strange lifestyle, he did hold down a job. And pictures of him, he looks like a well-kept guy, like he's well-adjusted. He looks like a normal dude. He was last seen in Eli, which is a nearby town to this area that his campsite was in, on October 10th of 2018. He was a bit alienated from his family, who all lived fairly normal lives. All his brothers and stuff were all kind of followed in their parents' footsteps. Whereas he was diagnosed dyslexic and was homeschooled, and he had um, a talent with music um, and kind of wished he had pursued a career as a musician. So he just seemed kind of disillusioned with life in general and everything. And he had been romantically involved with a woman and kind of acted like a father to her kids for several years, but eventually went back to his lifestyle of living off the land, kind of doing his own thing, just living life for himself, essentially. And um, when he visited his parents and told them that he was going to travel to Minnesota, they did not like what he was doing, but they knew they couldn't stop him. That he was going to do what he was going to do. So he moves up to Minnesota, parks his truck, goes off to camp. So the next year, like I said, in April, another call comes in about the truck, and Officer Williams finally gets serious, since it's not winter anymore, really, about going out to find the camp. And he does find it in April, after he after that final call. The campsite was under two to four feet of snow, and like I said earlier, was in a secluded area near a river, uh, very remote, like middle of nowhere, absolute middle of nowhere. The campsite was, it was a kind of a standard campsite. There was like a hammock with a, like a tarp strung up over a wire to make like a tent that he was sleeping under. Inside the hammock, there was a loaded nine millimeter pistol with extra magazines and and a sleeping bag in the hammock as well. So like he was in the sleeping bag in the hammock under mm-hmm. the tent. That was his that was his setup. Now, the only thing strange, everything seemed like it was in order. Everything seemed normal. Uh the only strange thing was that everything was covered in blood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um there was blood drenching the area around the hammock, the hammock itself, the tarp. It was on the ground. Nothing was ripped or torn. The tent, the hammock, nothing was disturbed other than being drenched in blood. Huh. In the area around, there were wolf tracks and wolf droppings found in the immediate area around this campsite, showing that wolves had been through there at some point. And after the snow finally melted in May, uh, searchers found 12 bones just outside of the campsite. These bones included a human vertebrae, a piece of a human femur, and a possible chunk of a forearm. And then even further from the campsite, two further bone fragments were discovered that could not be identified. They don't know what kind of bones they are, but they were bone fragments. I was, wasn't able to find anything about DNA testing on the bones to like confirm that this was his remains, but the family seems fairly certain based on their talkings with local news sources and everything, they seem certain that these are his remains and they've been in contact with the police. So it seems pretty certain that what they found was indeed Jordan Grider. Okay. No other remains have ever been found, so there has never been an official cause of death determined. Mm. And that's basically this mystery. <laughs> okay. This man uh, living off the grid goes up to camp in Minnesota by himself not too far from this town, Eli. It's in a very remote area, but it's within hiking distance to this town. 
and goes missing, campsites discovered undisturbed, except for being covered in blood. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're going to get into some theories about maybe what had happened to him. All right. The first theory off uh, that I don't put a lot of credence behind is that he went off to kill himself. This was a suicide. Um, the officer that initially investigated the scene commented that, uh, in his opinion, he didn't have enough supplies in his camp to last the entire winter. Because he went out there in October. And uh, one of the things he noted when he was investigating was that he did not have a stove of any kind, which is pretty essential camping gear. Yeah. Although Jordan claimed to be able to build one out of just about anything. So maybe he was planning on building himself a stove. This was relatively early in the winter, October, uh, early October 2018. Um, so maybe he was planning on going back to the town before it really got snowed in and getting more supplies and building himself a stove later. But, you know, maybe he just decided he was done with life and he went up here to... Uh, to live his final moments in the wilderness where he thinks his, you know, he felt like his home was. But um, the police have actually completely ruled out suicide. Oh. The investigating officer doesn't believe he was suicidal. That was just an offhand comment he made. He doesn't actually believe he went up there to kill himself. Oh. Um, like, the gun was loaded and unused that was in his hammock. It, was, it wasn't used. There was, it was fully loaded. Um, they found his phone in the campsite, and he had been texting his family, norm fairly normal stuff. There was no signs of depression or anything like that that they could find in any of his stuff. So I don't think that suicide is a possibility, really. Moving on to the next theory would be foul play. You know, he's setting up camp here, and some stranger stumbles upon his campsite and, for whatever reason, decides to kill him. Yeah. The way the scene was set up, this person would have had to sneak up on him somehow, maybe in his sleep, and kill him that way, or have appeared friendly, and then just suddenly out of nowhere turned and killed him, because the gun wasn't used, and that was his defense. Well, if, if he was being attacked by somebody, you'd think somebody, he would have shot the gun at some point. Yeah. And also, the way his things were piled in his hammock, it didn't seem like he had been sleeping in it. It seemed like he was still up at the time of whatever happened. Happened. Because, like, his, his sleeping bag was still rolled up in the hammock. It wasn't spread out. Oh. He had a large collection of knives. That, that was, like, his hobby. He loved to make knives and, like, whittle wood and shave wood and carve things. Uh, that was just one of his hobbies. He had, and his collection was completely accounted for by police. There were none missing, and they tested all of them, and none of them had any kind of blood of any kind on them whatsoever. Okay. So none of his knives were used. None of his gun, his gun wasn't used. All his belongings were accounted for and undamaged. Uh, this included a wallet with roughly a thousand dollars worth of cash in it. So whoever, if someone came up and did this to him, they weren't robbing him because they left his money. <laughs> That's a thousand dollars just sitting there. They would have taken it. Yeah. All things considered, his mother believes that he didn't make it through his first night. That whatever happened to him happened to him that first day he got there. Because she says that, again, his hobby was whittling things, carving, working with knives. And she said that his nightly hobby that he did every night before he would go to bed, what he was he was lay in the hammock and work on something, carving something, sharpening knives, whatever. And there was no signs of him ever having done any of that. Like no wood shavings, 
Nothing nothing indicating that he would have been doing what his hobby was at any point he was at the campsite. Yeah. And also, he doesn't have a stove or supplies. Maybe he would, he had just gotten there. He was intending to go get the rest of his supplies and come back. And that's kind of the reason his mother believes he didn't even make it through his first night. However, police have completely ruled out foul play as well. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Another theory that pops up is wolves. There was the proof that the wolves were there. There were droppings and wolf tracks scattered throughout his camp. The thing that's wrong with this theory is that wolves typically don't attack humans. If wolves did this to Jordan, he would be the first death by wolves in Minnesota in 120 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and again, his gun was untouched. Like, would he not have defended himself against a wolf attack in some way with all these knives and a loaded gun? Yeah. There was uh, an, a specialist, I think, was actually brought in, too, to look at the scene initially. And they said that just based on the way everything was arranged, it did not match the scene of a typical wolf attack. And it didn't match this it did not match the scene of any other predator in the area either, if they were to, like a bear attack or anything. It, it they concluded that it wasn't an animal attack, this specialist did. Huh. And there was, like I said, no real sign of a struggle. Again, an, an animal attack, there's gonna be a lot of struggling. <laughs> yeah. The wolves, I think most likely what happened, something happened to him and he died, obviously. Uh, and the wolves came along later and probably ate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why there were wolf tracks and things. But I don't think wolves actually killed him. Right. Yeah. And then the final theory, which I think I guess is the most plausible, even though I don't really like it either, is that some kind of freak accident occurred that killed him. Mm. Something, some awful something or other happened to him like maybe he was holding a knife and he slipped and fell and cut himself in some fatal way yeah like because the blood like i said it was sprayed out everywhere it was all over the place so maybe he accidentally cut a major artery and just blood started gushing out everywhere and he bled out before he could do anything about it yeah there were bloody pieces of cloth found around the tent almost like bandages like cloth torn to be a bandage but at the same time, all of his knives are accounted for, and none of them tested positive for any kind of blood, human or otherwise. So what did he cut himself with? Yeah. <laughs> and this is still an open investigation, This is since it's so recent. I mean, there could be some other something that comes forward, but as of right now, there is no definitive answer to what happened to this poor guy. Oh. Did you say they... No, do they know who the blood is from? Is it from? It's his blood. Okay. <laughs> huh. I was uh, thinking maybe he just like succumbed to like cold weather, but then you said there's blood everywhere. Yeah. So never mind. Yeah, no that that kind of that kind of rules out him just kind of dying to the elements. <laughs> yeah. Something awful happened to him. I don't know what. Right. One of the pop, one of the, another theory I saw was perhaps that uh, it was a Wendigo attack. Because oh. <laughs> wow. this is actually in the area where the local native tribes believed in the Wendigo. Yeah. And there were documented cases of Wendigo syndrome where people believed that they were being influenced by the spirit of the Wendigo and would eat other people, oh. like resort to cannibalism, because they thought they were taken over by the Wendigo. Huh. So maybe somebody thought that they were being controlled by a malevolent demon and wandered upon his camp 
and killed him and ate him. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't what I don't know why he wanted to go camping in Minnesota in the winter. Yeah. It doesn't it seem like a great weird. idea. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, he had been he had been living off the grid for the last twelve years of his life, and he was twenty nine. Hmm. So since he was seventeen, wow. he had been living off the grid. That's crazy. This it seems like that was just his lifestyle. That's the way he liked to be. But yeah. he went from yeah Kentucky and Upper New York State to Minnesota at the Canadian border almost. Yeah, that's quite a change of environment. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, that's the mystery. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I don't have like a good theory. <laughs> I don't either. Like I said, the accident thing is the best thing I got. Hmm. And I don't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> there there just there's no proof of what caused him to bleed out like this. Yeah. Like not even the implement like the knife that was used cuz all of his knives tested clean. Yeah, I don't think it was foul play cuz like Who's gonna even find him there? Like, yeah, it took them. It took it took the officer from October to April to finally find his campsite, and then they had to wait till May for the snow to melt before they could finish their search. Huh. <laughs> so yeah, this is a very remote, desolate kind of area. Yeah, but at the same time, that's the only thing that makes sense is if somebody else came along with the murder weapon already on them and killed him and took it with him. Yeah. But they also would have had to have snuck up on him in such a way that he wouldn't have shot at them or got one of his knives and tried to attack them. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the mystery. Okay. If you ever hear any more developments about Jordan Grider, you All know right. now. Okay, cool. Did the, did the pickup truck have anything interesting? Or, it never know? said that there was anything interesting in the pickup truck. Okay. It seemed like he had, um, like he had put all his stuff that he had at his campsite in the truck, and he drove it to wherever he parked it, and then he just carried everything from the truck to his campsite. Oh, that is a weird case. He had he had even been texting, like he apparently even had cell signal. There were like recent text messages to really? his family. Yeah, like how recent? Like like a couple days prior. <laughs> like uh, from October. Yeah. Like. Like, he, he, he went to his parents' house from where he was living. He traveled back to New Mexico to visit his family and tell them that he was moving to Minnesota to camp. And then he left from New Mexico back to Minnesota. And he had, he was still in contact with them up until, I guess, October, early October, early mid-October. Hmm. And between October and April, like, no Nothing, one. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because at the same time, like, he lived, he was close enough to this nearby town that he could have just hiked there if there was a problem. Yeah. It was, I think it was like a 20 or 25 mile hike to the nearest town. Which is not nothing. But for right. a guy living like, used to living like this, he could have easily done that if there was like an emergency. Yeah. And why wouldn't he keep his pickup truck like kind of nearby? Yeah. In case he needed to get somewhere quick. Yeah. That's, that doesn't make any much sense either. Like, why why did he leave his truck so far from where he ended up at? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't got anything else on this one. That's every. That's literally everything I could find on basically. Oh, the gun isn't fired. The knives don't have blood on them. Nope. Guns fully loaded and with extra magazines. Like he had it there for a reason to defend himself. Yeah. And it wasn't used. <laughs> it's almost yeah. It's almost like he got there, set everything up, had his hammock, put his hammock up, set his sleeping bag and his gun in the hammock. And then all of his blood just exsanguinated out of his body. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. It was the chupacabra. Yeah. (laughs) I like this Wendigo theory. The Wendigo? Right. That's kind of my favorite, (laughs) even though I don't think it actually happened. Yeah. Because it's still like, who would be out there? Even a crazy person. Like, they would die out there if they were just wandering around the woods believing they were possessed. (laughs) 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 Unless he had some kind of enemy that no one knows about. He he made the wrong person angry and they followed him up there and killed him. Yeah, I guess. The police would have found out something. Something, yeah. yeah. Something would have had to have some kind of evidence of some kind of foul play would have certainly come up if there was any. Yeah. For the other, like, three theories, there's, like, something I, I was, like, kind of confident happened that happened, but I don't I don't know about this one at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel, I, I don't feel confident in any of them. <laughs> any, any of the theories I found. Huh. So. Never, you never know. Maybe there will be some new, some new evidence found somewhere. Yeah. It, they could still find something. It's pretty recent. Yeah, this is fairly recent. Less than two or three, two or three years ago. You know. Yeah. What did you hear about this? This was an episode of the Shocking Details, okay. another podcast that I'm totally plugging right now on our podcast for oh, free. Right. I'll have to check that one out. <laughs> they also the the podcast I heard about this on also did a full episode on the Wendigo, basically. Like really? the myth and like a major story that happened in Canada involving somebody claiming to be possessed by the Wendigo mm. that ate their whole family. Interesting. <laughs> ate? A person ate their whole family? Yeah. Because uh, they thought they were possessed, possessed by the Wendigo. What? This is like a documented case <laughs> from like the late 1800s in Canada. Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So the Wendigo thing is real, not the Wendigo itself, but people that believe they're possessed by it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's my favorite out of all. <laughs> my favorite flimsy theory out of all the flimsy theories. <laughs> yeah. This this case makes me kind of think of that uh is the thing that happened with the guy who like went out and into like the woods to live out like the rest of his life. He yeah. was like kind of young. Mm-hmm. I think his name was like Christopher McCandless. I think that's his name. I think I'm pretty sure that is his name. Yeah. And they found his like remains on a bus. I think, but like that wasn't a mystery. Like they knew he just died like, yeah. to to the elements. Yeah. I think. That's the strange thing about this is that there's no evidence that the elements were even an issue for this guy. Huh. Like he had his camp set up 
He knew where to set it up. It was near water. It was very sheltered. Like, it, it had a lot of cover from, like, the very cold northern winds that come down from Canada. So it was much easier to be there than anywhere else in the area. Like, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. That much is obvious. Yeah. It's just some some unforeseen something happened to him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think freak accident makes the most sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I still, I don't like that. Either. Like I said, the, the, the theory I heard was that maybe he fell. Like, holding a knife, and he f- tr- slipped and fell forward, and it, like, stabbed into him. Mm-hmm. On accident. And then, like, a wolf came along and, like, ate, like, tried to, started eating at him and, like, carried the knife off. Oh. But, again, all of his knives were accounted for. Oh. So it would have had to have been someone else's knife. Yeah. He had <laughs> someone else's knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy these mysteries as much as we enjoyed talking about them. Um, and we'll be coming back at you at some point with something else. Yeah, for sure. Um, once we think of another topic, I don't know. Maybe we can do another Unsolved Mysteries episode one day. Yeah, I like talking about these. so Yeah. I'd be down to do another one. Yeah, that was fun. You guys take care and we'll catch you in the next episode. See ya.